Well, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs, the first chapter. We'd gone to lunch at the Chinese dinner buffet, and we'd sat down at the table, and at the time, I absolutely hated Chinese food, hated it with a passion. And so we sat down, and my mom looked across the table, and she said to me, get whatever you want, which is easy to say when it's a buffet, right? I mean, that's, that's really easy to tell somebody because you've already paid the price for the buffet. It's not normally like when you sit down to a restaurant. That's not when you want your parents, when they're taking you out, to say, I'll get whatever you want at the buffet. No, it's when you sit down at the steakhouse and they're like, this one's on us. Get whatever you want. And then you immediately turn to the filet. But they're like, get whatever you want, but eat what you take. Well, we're at a buffet, so it's a nice gesture, but really doesn't mean that much. So that's exactly what I did. I hated Chinese food. And so I went and I scoured table after table after table of Chinese food and saw just unappealing options everywhere I turned. And so I did what any reasonable child would do. I took my plate and I filled it up with fortune cookies and I returned back to the table. And I sat down and I began to crack over, open my fortune cookies and began to eat them. And about three cookies in, my mom made it back to the table and she just looked at me. But she wasn't yet at the table. So I managed to crack open a fourth fortune cookie and pop it in my mouth by the, time she should, by the time she could get to the table, take the plate away from me, and say, that's not what I meant, Brian, and then escort me back up to the Chinese buffet and find some other more substantial food before I could return to my empire of cookies just sitting and waiting for me at our table. Get whatever you want. It sounded like a great proposition. Now, I wasn't allowed to fulfill it, but it sounded like a great proposition. Imagine with me for just a moment that God appeared and he gave you that same invitation. Not at a Chinese dinner buffet, but just in general. Imagine that God himself appeared and said, Ask me for anything. It's yours. Whatever you want. What would you ask him for? Would you ask him for health? Would you ask him that your life would be long? Would you ask him for money? Would you ask him for fame? What would you ask for? If God said, whatever you want, it's yours. Now, this sounds like an incredible fantasy. And yet, this is the very thing that happened to a guy named Solomon. Solomon became king. He became king of Israel. His father, King David, was king, and he had a long, successful empire and reign as, as king. And Solomon was his son, and, and he was becoming king. And as he was just becoming king, 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us this, that one night in a dream, God appeared to Solomon and said, ask me for anything, ask me for anything, and it will be done. Now, I don't know about you, I've never had that dream. 
And chances are, if you go home and tonight or tomorrow night you have that dream, you just ate something funky for dinner, and it's not really God. Because God doesn't normally operate this way, but for whatever reason, in that time, in that circumstance, God appears to Solomon in a dream, says, ask me for anything. And Solomon asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom in an abundance. As we begin our look at the book of Proverbs, we, we get to see some of that which God gave to Solomon. He recorded it for us. This summer, we're going through the book of Proverbs. It's, it's exciting. And, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to set the table. We're going to set the scene for it. This morning, we're going to talk about wisdom. Next week, we're going to talk about the antithesis of wisdom that the book of Proverbs presents, and that is fools. And so we're going to, we're going to set the stage for the difference between wisdom and fools. And from there on out, we're going to dive into Proverbs this summer. And we're going to see that the life lived by the wise versus the life lived by the fool look incredibly, incredibly different. Proverbs chapter 1 begins like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. Now, a couple things we need to get straight right out of the way. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are not promises. We cannot take the book of Proverbs as absolutes. Now, before you stone me and yell that I'm a heretic and just quit listening, let me demonstrate this to you for why. Proverbs 21, 21 states this, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor. Let me read that again. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor. Here's the only problem to that. The righteous, they aren't always honored. Proverbs 10, 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The diligent can lose it all. And the lazy sometimes do indeed strike it rich. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Children who are raised right by godly parents, with godly influences, according to the principles of Scripture, still sometimes rebel still sometimes wander far from God. And here's the problem with our theology. If we take the book of Proverbs as promises, we begin to think either we've messed up or God is a liar. Well, we know from Scripture that God's not a liar. And chances are, if that's our only two options, then we messed up. But that's not always the case. And sometimes, because people misunderstand what Proverbs are, because they interpret them as promises, especially in the case of when a child who is raised up in a godly home by godly parents turns from, turns from Christ, rebels, walks their own path, there begins to be a sense of guilt and remorse, and parents beat themselves up. Listen, kids are human. They're individuals. 
They have wills, just like you, just like I. And sometimes, in spite of the upbringing, in spite of the knowledge that you gave them, in spite of the godly home you raised them in, they rebel. They walk away. They leave. It does not mean that you have failed. It does not mean that you were wrong. It does not mean that God's a liar. Proverbs are not promises. They deal with what happens ordinarily, not necessarily. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. In our community group, no names, in our community group, we have a state highway patrolman. Now, I'm still waiting for that get out of speeding card, you know, that we all know they can issue. Haven't received it yet. I'm sure he's popped it in the mail. I'm not going to say his name. This is podcast all over the place. I'll be getting that this week, I am sure. All right, so there's a state highway patrolman in our community group. Now, here's the thing. Is it a good idea to speed in front of a state highway patrolman? Absolutely not. If you speed in front of a state highway patrolman, you will be pulled over. You will receive a ticket. That's why I need the free little card, get out of ticket courtesy thing that they all have that they deny, but we all know that they have them and we all know they operate that way. That's why I need the card because if you speed in front of a state highway patrolman, you're going to get a ticket. Are you always going to get a ticket? By the grace of God, no. Because I can tell you this week, they're sitting out with a radar gun. And I'm doing a little over 70 in a zone that was 65-ish or a little under. And, uh, you know, they just sneak up on you. And I go blazing right past them. Did I get pulled over? By the grace of God, no. If I pass the state highway patrolman 50 times, going 70 miles an hour in a zone that's under 65, maybe 55, just hypothetically. If I'm doing 70-something in a 55 zone and I pass a state highway patrolman, am I going to get a ticket? And the answer is yes, because state highway patrolmen live to pull people over and to walk back into their car and to get out their citation book and then to walk up and say, this really pains me with a little grin on their face. And you're like, no, it doesn't pain you at all. And then they write you the citation and then they say, have a good day. Oh, it's going to be a great one. Thanks. Thanks for the pleasure. Oh, my. Listen, it's not a good idea to speed. It's not a good idea, really not a good idea, to speed in front of a state highway patrolman. You're going to get a ticket. Are you always going to get a ticket? No. But chances are you will. Same thing's true with Proverbs. More often than not, you're going 70-some miles an hour in a zone that's under not going to end well. Proverbs lets us know what happens ordinarily, but not necessarily. And that's an important distinction, an important point for us to understand as we launch in this summer. It doesn't mean that God's a liar. It doesn't mean that these things will always happen, but they generally will. They generally will. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. The quest for wisdom is everywhere 
And we see it. People desperately want to know. They want to know wisdom. We see it. We see it in fortune cookies. Not only is this a delicious cookie, but it also lets us know some information. Here's this fortune. Eyes that sparkle with joy need no makeup. That's helpful. Okay, so just remember, if, ladies, if your eyes sparkle with joy, you don't need makeup. Fellas, you don't need makeup at all. So just remember that, all right? Eyes that sparkle with joy. And then we got magic eight balls, okay? So you've got the magic eight ball. Will this be a good sermon? Outlook not so good. <laughs> so the eight ball's telling us there's a chance it will be. That's how I choose to interpret that. There's a chance it could be. All right. So you've got magic eight balls. You've got, you've got Ouija boards, horoscopes. You have all kinds of things that people utilize as quests, tarot cards, psychics, the crazy people on the 900 numbers. You have advice columns. You have people who are revered, like Dr. Drew, Dave Ramsey, Brian Persley, people that people look to in times of desperate need for wisdom, and they call them up and they, they just search desperately and they ask them for their valued and, and wise opinion. And it's out there because the goal, the goal that so many have, whether we understand it or not, the goal that so many have is to be wise. Because when you're wise, you make better decisions. Because we all understand the probability thing. It doesn't always end that way. But it usually does. And that's normally a safe route to go. So we all want to be wise. People are hungry for wisdom. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. And here we move from the mental aspects of wisdom to the practical aspects of wisdom living out in our lives, putting them into practice. Wise dealing, making right choices. After you acquire wisdom mentally, you then go and put it into practice and, and you make wise choices, righteous choices that honor God, justice, doing things that are right, not easy, but right, equitable, being fair. Even when it's difficult, being fair. To give prudence. To train others. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. To be invested in the lives of others. See, it's not enough just to be a wise person. It's not enough to have the head knowledge. We know, that, we know that from our relationship spiritually. It's not enough to have the knowledge of God in our heads. That doesn't cut it. It's not good enough. We have to actually put the knowledge that we acquire in our heads into practice in our lives. That's what God desires. 
God desires a life that is holy. He does not desire us just to have all the head knowledge. He desires us to live lives that honor and please him. That's the whole point. This is the whole point of acquiring more wisdom. It's not just to sit on it. It's not just to, just to be, well, I'm smarter. It's to actually put it into practice. To put it into practice. And when you do, here's what a wise life looks like. It looks like a life where you make right choices. It looks like a life where you're fair. It looks like a life where you train others. It looks like a life when you're invested in others. It looks like a life when you honor God. When you honor God. If you're a standout in your field, if you're, if you're incredibly successful, if you've, if you've gone on and, and you've just accomplished everything you've set out to do, don't be done. Don't be done. Invest in other people. Don't save it for yourself. Now, I understand that there's competition. And I understand that sometimes there are trade secrets that you can't just pour into the lives of everybody. But I also understand that you've achieved something, and, and you need to utilize that for the betterment of those around you. Those of you who are successful, build into the lives of those who are younger. Build into the lives of those who are hungry. You can't build into the lives of all. You just can't. Not everybody who wants your time, not everybody who wants your ear, are you going to have the time or the opportunity to give your ear. You can't. You can't be fair in that regard. You cannot do for everybody what, what you wish you could. You just don't have enough time. You don't have enough energy. You just don't have the resources available to you. But just because you can't do it for everybody doesn't mean you should not do it for some. Pick some people and invest in them. Tell them the things you wish you knew. Share with them your mistakes. Share with them your heartaches. Tell them where they need to grow and to develop. That is your role and your responsibility as you have experienced more, as you've experienced some success. Those of you who are younger, learn. Learn. Find those who have been successful. Find those who are wise and learn from them. Ask them if they will invest in you. And if they say yes, and if they are willing to pour their time and their resources into you, then go with a plan. Don't just show up at lunch expecting them to buy lunch and have nothing on your agenda. When you get them to lunch, have five to ten questions that you really want to know. Have them prepared in advance and ask them exactly what they would do in this situation. Ask for their input. Don't use it as a time to debate unless they're open to that. If they want some pushback, that's fine. But you're there at that time to learn. Learn from them. Ask them their mistakes. Ask them where they were successful. Ask them how you can grow and how you can develop. Don't get comfortable. Don't think you're done. And here's what you'll find. That when you start this when you're young, it doesn't stop when you're older. 
doesn't stop when you've experienced some success. It doesn't stop, nor should it. And here's the reason why. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. So here's the thing about wisdom. Here's the thing about learning. It's a lifelong pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. Never stop being hungry to learn. Never stop being hungry to acquire knowledge. Jim Collins, leadership guru and author of a number of great books, shares this story about Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. Says this, at the time of his death in 1992, the company Sam Walton had founded with a single store grew to 1,960 Walmart stores. The company employed 380,000 people and had annual sales of nearly $50 billion, all that which started from just one store. Collins points out, Walton viewed himself not as a definitive expert on retailing, but as a lifelong student of his craft. He was always asking questions and taking every opportunity to learn. A, Bra a Brazilian businessman once told Collins that of 10 U.S. retailing CEOs, he wrote to asking for an appointment after he'd purchased a discount retailing chain in South America, only Walton said yes. Only Walton agreed to the meeting. The Brazilian businessman said this, we didn't know much about retailing, so we wanted to talk to executives who knew the business. Most didn't bother to reply. Sam said, sure, come on up. And listen to this. Only later did I realize that Sam Walton was as interested in learning from us as we were in learning from him. He pummeled us with questions about Brazil. Later, we launched a joint venture with Walmart in South America. Collins goes on to conclude this. Becoming a learning person certainly involves, certainly involves responding to every situation with learning in mind, as Walton did. But it involves more than that. It requires setting explicit learning objectives. Look at your personal list of long-term objectives, midterm objectives, and your current to-do list. How many items fall into the performance genre? And how many fall into the learning genre. We need to be lifelong learners. See, the quest for wisdom is never truly fulfilled. The quest for wisdom is never truly fulfilled. We never arrive. 
there is always more to learn. There is always another perspective to gain. There's always more information available. So don't stop. Don't quit. Never be satisfied. Never just be done. I used to remember when the first week of June would roll around when I was in high school. It was awesome because school was out for the summer. And listening to the Alice Cooper song, School's Out for the Summer. And then I'd follow that up with a nice dose of Pink Floyd. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. And I'd be like, I'm a free man. Yeah. And it was my, it was my goal to learn nothing that summer. And looking back, especially on my high school summers, you know what I found? I learned more of those summers and jobs at workplaces that I've retained to this day than I did probably all school year. I just didn't realize it at the time. But don't take that immature attitude and apply it in your life. Never be done. Never be done. Always be learning. Every person that you encounter, though their background is different, Though their situation is different, though you may think they're the dumbest person you've ever met, they have something valuable. Listen. Listen. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is what's so difficult sometimes. Not only is what we would call wisdom literature in Scripture, which, in, which includes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, some Psalms, not only is wisdom literature in, in Scripture difficult to understand sometimes, and sometimes it is, but sometimes wisdom just in general it's difficult. It's difficult to understand riddles. This is another reason that lifelong learning is, is so important. Because sometimes truths are incredibly complex. So don't quit. Don't give up the pursuit. Just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not valuable and it doesn't mean that, that it's not worthwhile. See, here's the deal. When we fell, when, when we rebelled against God, when, when we welcomed sin into humanity, it impacted our physical capabilities. We understand that. That's why our bodies break down. It's why some are born with deformities. It's why we get sick. It's ultimately why we die. Sin impacted our, our physical capabilities, but it also impacted our, our spiritual capabilities, which we understand. We no longer have intimacy with God. It also impacted our mental capabilities. So our minds are not functioning the way that God initially designed our minds to function. We have limited capacity. 
And when you think of all the incredible things that the mind is still capable of, when you think of all the incredible equations, all the incredible inventions, all the things that people have come up with and invented out of nowhere, and just, just the brilliance that is on display of humanity, Imagine with me just for a second what our minds were originally capable of when God designed them unaffected by the fall. And I dare say if we sit here and ponder it, we can't even begin to imagine the mental capabilities that God initially designed our minds with. But our minds, just as our bodies, are shells of what God originally designed them to be. That's not an excuse. It's just the reality. And so, for that reason, all the more, let's make acquiring wisdom a discipline. Let's make becoming wise something that we really value. Let's be dedicated to become lifelong learners no matter where we are in the journey, whether we're 7 or 77. Let's commit to being people who want to know more, who want to acquire more knowledge, who want to be wise. Let's do the best we can. To overcome the effects of the curse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is knowledge. It begins, true knowledge begins the relationship with God. Fear of the Lord is the step. You know why that's the case? Because fear of the Lord is not some trembling. It's not being scared all the time. Fear of the Lord is reverence for who God is and his position as opposed to who I am and my position. Fear of the Lord is understanding that God is sovereign and God is supreme and I am not. Fear of the Lord is understanding that God is more important than me. That is fear of the Lord. And when there's fear of the Lord, what happens is it revolutionizes every area of our lives. It revolutionizes every area of our lives. Because as we come to that understanding that God is greater than me, my will needs to align to his will. My thoughts need to align to his thoughts. My actions need to align to that which what he wants me to do. My being needs to align to his being. 
That is the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of true knowledge. That is the beginning of wisdom because that is why we were created in the first place. That is why God designed us. Not to be his robots, but to take joy in the relationship and the intimacy that we can have with our creator. To bring him joy and to experience the blessing that we receive when we bring God honor and praise. This is what the wise are called to do. This is the path the wise are called to live. And it starts with knowing more. Because all of our minds have been impacted. It progresses from knowledge to action, to pleasing God, to making right choices, to being fair, to being invested in the lives of other people. From there it builds to a value that it is something that I will always seek that I will not quit. I will chase after it. And I will invest in others' lives, and I will allow others to invest in my life. And we ultimately arrive where we've come full circle. And the reason for all of it is to bring God glory. And as we look at Proverbs, what we're going to see is if you do those things, if you live wise, chances are your life will be better than those who don't. But it's not a guarantee. It's what ordinarily happens, but not what necessarily happens. And so, if your response is predicated upon ease, upon money, upon health, upon blessings, when that which ordinarily but doesn't necessarily happen does not happen to you, you'll quit your quest. And you'll question, what did I do wrong? Or is God not faithful? And the answer may very well be no to both of those questions. We know the answer is no to, is God not faithful? Is God a liar? Don't let your circumstances affect your actions. Make it a value. And generally, things will go better. But it's not a promise. Sometimes the righteous aren't honored. Sometimes the lazy strike it rich, and the hardworking just can't make ends meet. And sometimes the kids who were raised in the best home 
still wander far from God. But knowledge is there. And it starts with us pursuing God. And so that is our challenge, Mission View. This summer, we passionately pursue God. That we would be people whose wills, whose hearts, and whose lives align with God's will, His heart, and the recipe that He's given us for our lives. That we would find knowledge and wisdom in our lives would bring God glory. God, I pray that we would value wisdom. I pray that we would just treasure knowledge. I pray, God, that we would all be passionate about acquiring more wisdom. But, God, that none of us would be foolish enough to just let that just stay in our minds. God, I pray that as, as we acquire it, we'd put it into practice in our lives. That we'd be people who are fair. That we'd be people who do what's right. That we would be people who love others and invest in them. God, that we would be people who no matter where we are in our lives, we would be lifelong learners. God, I pray you'd be honored with our lives. And I pray, God, that that would not be only something we do because we're counting on blessings. But I pray it'd be something we do, God, because we see that you love us. And it's what you've called us to do. So God, take our hearts, take our lives, take our minds. Mold them and conform them. And God, let us seek desperately after you. That we would fear you and that our will would align with yours for our lives. God, be honored and glorified in and through us. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.